Pastor Xavier Reese and the problem of the manana mindset today on Simple Truths. Procrastination. So many people have so many excuses and justification. Well, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm going to school and I'm going to do that. And, and right now, I'm, you know, I'm getting a house and I just got a new job. But as soon as I get done, I'm going to get back in the fellowship and then I'll get involved. You know, no, you never get involved. Let your servant prosper this day. Today. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Take the bull by the horns. Don't let anyone push you around. Be assertive. Be aggressive. Well, that's not the leadership advice you'll find in today's study from the book of Nehemiah. Now let's join Pastor Xavier for a different perspective from today's study, a call to serve. Here he is to begin. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He's praying Chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4 through 5, verse 9, chapter 5, verse 19, chapter 6, verse 9, verse 14, chapter 13, verse 14, 22, 29, 31. This man is a praying fool. He prays all the time. He's a man of prayer. A call to service pursued through prayer. Notice first in verse 4. Persistency in prayer will bring about God's burdens, not our own. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He sat down and wept when he heard. He mourned for many days. He fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. How long do you think? Nehemiah prayed. If you take the beginning date in chapter 1 and you compare it to chapter 2, verse 1, he prayed for four months. And what's the longest that you and I have prayed for anything? He's got it made where he's at. Why does he want to get involved in what's going on in Jerusalem? He's a man of prayer. He is seeking the will of God, the direction of God. To line himself up with God's will. To tap into the things of God and not simply to get things from God. Notice secondly in verse 5, proper perspective of God in prayer is important. Nothing's impossible for him. He prayed, calling God the great and awesome God, declaring that there is nothing impossible for him. Nothing. He prayed to God, who is trustworthy, keeping his covenant and mercy with those who love him and serve what? His commandments. He knew he was praying to a faithful and trustworthy God. You see, this is important. Proper perspective of God in prayer is very, very important. What's your perspective when you go to prayer? How big is your problem? It all depends how big your God is because your problem is always in proportion to the size of your God. Notice thirdly in verses 6 through 7 that personal confession and intercession in prayer is basic. Personal confession and intercession in prayer is basic. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Notice first he prayed night and day. Day and night. He's a man of prayer. Secondly, he prayed for Israel, his servants. Now, Nehemiah could have said, you know, Lord, these guys are a bunch of rats. I mean, you know, they, they messed up. That's why we've been in captivity. That's why I was born in captivity. I should have been born in Jerusalem, you know, if it wasn't for them. So, you know, forget them. Start anew with me. He did not. He prayed for Israel, God's servants. And thirdly, he prayed confessing corporate guilt. He uses the word we have sinned. That's good. You see, if we're not careful, we start always looking at they, them, me, us. And pretty soon, I can see everybody's sin and failure, but I am blind to my own, and I end up doing what the Pharisees did. They strained at a gnat, and they swallowed a stinking camel. Here they're trying to take a sliver out of somebody's eye and they've got this big four-by-four four in their own eye. That's the danger for my life. Always. Always. Personal confession and intercession in prayer is basic. You confess because sin separates you from God. And you intercede for others, not just yourself. Very important. God is working in your heart. You see? If you are the central topic of your prayers, you've got problems. Remember the middle letter of, of, of the word sin is I. Okay? I am my worst problem. I am my worst nightmare. I have to get my eyes on God, get him off of me to get proper perspective. But notice fourthly in verses 8 through 10 that petitions are based on God's promises. This is important because today a lot of people are saying you can ask anything and we've got a lot of this name it and claim it and nab it and grab it and stuff like that and you know, and you don't have enough faith and it's because this and that and you know, no, no, no. Petitions are based on God's promises. In verse 8, his promise to scatter Israel was declared and if they disobeyed, it would occur. It had occurred. Leviticus 26, 33, Deuteronomy 28, chapter he speaks there about their disobedience and the curses and scattering them. God was true to his word out of the very same mouth that said that he would bless them if they obeyed. The same mouth said, if you disobey, I will scatter you. God had done that. He had done it to the northern kingdom with Assyria and then he put the entire nation in Babylon. His word was true. Secondly, he acknowledges his promise to regather them if they return to God in obedience in verse 9. Now, Nehemiah knew the word. He knew Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 through 31, and chapter 30, verse 1 through 4, that God promised if they repented from wherever they were at, he would gather them again. So here he is. He's praying according to what? The promises of God in the word. My prayers need to be confined and need to be directed by God's revelation, His Word. I cannot go beyond His Word. I cannot add to His Word. I cannot take away from His Word. I must be confined to His Word. 
for he honors his word above his name. God is never going to hold you or myself responsible for anything before the throne that is not in the word of God. He said, okay, now I got a, a, a surprise quiz for you guys. I got a surprise for you guys. No, no, no. His word. That's why you and I need to be students of the word because God will hold you responsible only for his word. Only for his word. Notice that his personal redemption of Israel in verse 10 there. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. I like that. <laughs> Lord, they're your people. They're yours. Didn't he say in Exodus 19.5 that they were his peculiar treasure? Isn't that what he says to Peter about us? Peculiar doesn't mean weird. It means his personal possession. His. Now, Jesus is the greatest example of the, a call to serve by pursued prayer. Jesus being God emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And yet he lived a life of constant prayer to the Father. And if you ever want to study it, it's the Gospel of Luke. It is the fullest prayer life of Jesus. Every time you see Jesus praying, it gives you a nifty little lesson for life. Study him, find him. And being God, he emptied himself of his glory, not of his deity, and he took on the form of a servant and humbled himself, and he sought the Father for every little detail of his earthly ministry as an example to his apostles and disciples of the only way to do the perfect will of the Father. You must have good communication with him. We cannot find any greater example. Nehemiah is a good example of, for us. Our Lord, much greater example. He was God, and yet he lived out a life as a man to show us how to be on target with the Father. Prayer. Persistency in prayer will solidify God's burden and sift my own out. As I persist in prayer on what I believe God is directing me, Either God will affirm it and confirm it, or if it's not of God, he'll just sift it away. So you might think of prayer as a purifier. <laughs> and after long enough time in the fire of prayer, whatever is consumable and chaff, it's gone. And whatever is valuable and permanent of God, it remains. And he leads you and he guides you in that direction. Personal confession and corporate sin also give me a proper perspective of God's graciousness and my own sinfulness. That is very important. Corporate sin gives me a proper perspective of God's graciousness as well as my own sinfulness. I am a sinner like anybody else and everybody else. And whenever I get to a place in my life where I'm praying, they those sinners, and I don't include myself in there, I am in deep, deep trouble. 
deep trouble. I've just deceived myself as to who I really am. But also petitions are confined to God's work, which he honors above his name, as I said. So important. That's why you and I need to know the word of God. So important. And so a call to service pursued through prayer, secondly. Third and last, a call to service personalized by making oneself available. One verse, verse 11. A call to service personalized by making oneself available. You don't know how often as a pastor I hear people say that they want to be used. Oh, I want to be, but they're never around. It's simple. Do you want to be used? Be around. Be around God's people. Be around God's house. Make yourself available. It's real simple. You know, it's almost like the guy that, you know, you have a friend or you met him or whatever, you're not that close, and, you know, he's saying that he's going to move or something. He's, oh, okay, when you get ready, you, you, you call me, okay? And you don't have any intentions of helping him. As a matter of fact, when he calls, you know, you tell your wife, oh, no, no, no. You know, you know, if you're really serious, you say, when are you moving? What was the date? What time? Okay, I'll be there. The thing is, we're not serious people. We just want to appear like being spiritual and serious. Notice first in verse 11. Privilege is acknowledged. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Listen to that. Oh, Lord. Indicating the lordship of God. He understands who it is he's praying to, who it is that he wants to make himself available to. Oh, Lord. Please let your ear be attentive to your servant, indicating the desire to be used, as well as the privilege. Let your servant, let your ear. What a privilege to be used of God. He makes himself available. Notice, secondly, partnership is acknowledged. Not only privilege is acknowledged, but partnership is acknowledged. Your servants who desire to fear your name. Partnership, your servants, plural. He and the other Jews. He does not think only of himself. He includes others. He is not the Lone Ranger. Too often Christians have this Lone Ranger mentality. They get the Messiah complex like they are the only ones. They're above everybody else and nobody else can do the job and all that. And you know what? That type of person is worthless. Partnership is acknowledged. Your servants who desire to fear your name. God always anoints a leader and then touches the heart of other people and men around him to support him. To pray for him. To come alongside and do the work that is needed. God always do that. Study the life of David. God anointed Saul and then he touched the heart of men to surround him. God touched the heart of David and he raised men around him. Always. But that man that's called always knows that he's the greatest servant of all. He is the greatest servant and he should be the greatest example of a servant. Servanthood should be caught by the people in the church from the pastor. And if not, then maybe he's not being the servant of all. He's up front. 
And hopefully it's not just when he's in the pulpit, but hopefully you can catch that as he walks around, as he talks to you, as whatever it is, whatever pastors there are. And that should funnel down to the body. Like pastor, like sheep, like priest, like prophet, like parents, like kids. Ooh, to close the home, huh? Notice thirdly, procrastination is not in his heart. I love it. Procrastination is not in his heart. Let your servant acknowledging desire and privilege to serve. Let your servant prosper this day, demonstrating his willingness and readiness immediately this day. He doesn't say, well, as soon as my job's done here as cupbearer, uh, as soon as they get the walls up and, and they get some housing done, and then I'll go over there. No, it says this day. So many people have so many excuses and justification. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm getting ready. I'm going to the school, and I'm going to do that. And, and right now, I'm, you know, I'm getting a house, and I just got a new job. But as soon as I get done, I'm going to get back in the fellowship, and then I'll get involved. You know, no, you never get involved. This day. Today. Procrastination. It ruins so many lives. Notice fourth and last. In the same verse. This verse is packed. The position he has is the starting point. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who's this man? Arctic Xerxes. See, Nehemiah knew that Arctic Xerxes was the king of the kingdom. But Nehemiah also knew that God, who is king of everyone, put him there <laughs> and had control over him. So he says, this man, what he's doing is he's asking God to start working right where he's at through Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is no problem if God is going to work. Nehemiah was a king's cupbearer. He wasn't trying to escape the dangerous job. God had begun to prompt his heart, and for those months, he began to brew within his heart, longing, desiring to do the will of God. And he didn't even know it when it all first began. <laughs> but as he moved on, he could look back, and as we move it through the book, you'll be able to see, oh, he must have said, boy, Lord, you're so good. That was you back there. I didn't know. I thought it was just me. That was you. That's exciting. Paul the Apostle on the Damascus Road said, Lord, what would you have me to do in Acts 9-6? The first words out of his mouth. What would you have me to do? See, as his last point says, a call to service personalized by making oneself available. First thing Paul said is, Lord, what do you want me to do? He didn't procrastinate. There is so much procrastination in the Christian life today, in the church. Jesus gets crowded out, always. If you're going to toss a coin, tails for Jesus, head for you, and if Jesus comes out, you'll probably say, well, let's go two out of three. Until Jesus gets squeezed out from the average life. We need to recognize the privilege in serving the Lord rather than an imposition. Do you realize the privilege of serving the Lord or do you think it an imposition to your own life? David said, who am I, Lord? 
That's good perspective. That's good. Who am I, Lord, that you should pick me? Who am I, Lord, that you should use me? Who am I, Lord, that you should gift me? Who am I, Lord, that you should anoint me? Who am I, Lord, that you should trust me? Ah, oh. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a child, Lord. Hey, I knew you before your mother's womb. And I called you anointed to be a prophet to the nation. Don't say I'm but a child. But Lord, I'm a man of a dirty mouth, unclean lips. No problem. Angel, put a coal in his lips. Clean him up. Now, go. Great. Send me, Lord. That was Isaiah's cry. We are called to serve as partners and in partnership with others, not a one-man show. Learn that. Don't get territorial. People get so territorial in, in, in their church. Well, I've been here from the beginning. This is my ministry. You know, some of you come in, you sit in the same pew, same spot. You know? And if you came in late one morning and someone was sitting there, you would go by and you I can't believe that guy. You know, because that's yours. It's incredible. Some people serve in ministry and all of a sudden God starts doing some new thing and we're doing some moving around and, and all of a sudden, you know, God redirects something and, and they think you're mad at them or they think that they've done something wrong or they think you don't appreciate them and they start pounding. Hey, wait a minute. Whose ministry is it? Yours or Jesus? Incredible. Our partnership is affected by recognizing the uniqueness and diversity and the unity for effectiveness in the body. Diversity always magnifies unity. Look at your body. You're diverse. Look at all the hands, feet, fingers, everything. And when they're all doing their work, it magnifies any one part. In geometry, it says that the whole, the, the, the sum of the parts is equal to the whole, and no part is greater than the whole. Two axioms, very true in Scripture. Very important. I am not the whole. I'm only part of the whole. And if I do my part and somebody else does part and all these parts and they put them together, man, the, the whole does a tremendous job, better than any one part. Together, every member edifying one another. We're not to procrastinate. You bought your house 10 years ago and your wife asked you to fix the drippy faucet 10 years ago. It's still there. You just haven't got around to it. We must ask God to use us right where we are our jobs, our homes, our neighborhoods. This is the proof of desiring to be sent to serve. Lord, use me where I'm at. Begin this day. Don't worry about who you are not or the position you're not at now. Open your heart and say, Lord, use me at Edison. Lord, use me at the engineering place where I'm at. Lord, use me. I'm at that factory. Lord, you, right where you're at. And then from there, let's see what God has. Too many people, well, you know, once one of these days, I'll get all prepared, I'll go to school, and then go. No, 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 no. Right where you're at, it begins. So important. A call to serve is personalized by making oneself available. And so a call to serve is prompted by God, not by ourselves. We respond to God. It's pursued through prayer, not through our cleverness. And it's personalized by making oneself available, not just talking. 
They're not any great truths. They're very simple, very basic. But they're within the scriptures, and that's important. May God give us wisdom. Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths about serving. And we hope today's study has been both challenging and encouraging. By the way, you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now, if you'd like a copy for your further review or to pass on to a friend, the title to request is A Call to Serve, and we're making it available on CD for just $4. And this also includes what Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to Serve, or simply mention today's date. Now, you can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us gauge the impact of this ministry in your area. God said the road is narrow, but there's always room for Him to walk by your side. Well, don't miss the next encouraging edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 